0: You're listening to the weekly broadcast of Grace Church, an independent Bible teaching church in Wichita Falls, Texas. This week, we're continuing a Christmas study we're calling Our Living Hope. With this week's message, here's Pastor to Middle Adults, Joe Cook. And from all of us at Grace Church, Merry Christmas. To live without hope is to cease to live. That's a big statement. statement was made by Fedor Dostoevsky. He was a Russian novelist, considered one of the greatest novelists of all times. He knew a little bit about suffering. He spent about four years in a Siberian prison, a working camp, work camp. That's a place where hope hope's hard to get a hold of. He understood how important hope was and listened to those words, to live without hope is to cease to live. If you've ever been there, you understand hope is so important. It's so essential to our lives. Listen to what a modern clinical psychologist said. He said, if I could find a way to package and dispense hope, I would have a pill more powerful than any antidepressant on the market. He goes on, he says, hope is often the only thing between man or woman and the abyss. As long as a patient or an individual or a victim has hope, then they can recover from anything and everything. Big statements about hope. Sounds like hope's pretty important. And like I said, if you've ever been in a place where you felt hopeless, you understand how important hope is. Our series, this little short series that we're in, is called The Living Hope. It's called, we've talked about last week, the hope for a situation. Today, we're talking about the hope for our solution. And you come Friday, Christmas Eve, we're going to talk about the hope for a Savior. But today, we're talking about the hope for a solution. And we're going to look to Jesus. That's where our eyes are going to turn. But as we do that, let's ask the question, you know, a psychiatrist, a psychologist has spoken about it. We've listened to a novelist. What does Scripture say about hope? Listen to the words of Paul in Romans 15. May the God of hope, it's a characteristic of God, look at that, the God of hope, fill you with all joy, peace, and believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Notice, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. God wants us to have hope. God wants you to have hope. Hope is apparently a very important thing. Last week, Lance walked us through the hope for our situation. He took us back to Genesis. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. The situation was separation. Adam and Eve had a perfect world given to them. In Genesis 2, everything was good. It was the way it was supposed to be. And then Adam and Eve sinned, and it brought separation. And that separation led to darkness. And this week, what I want us to recognize, and I don't think it's going to be a hard sell, is that separation that took place there, it's created some problems, hasn't it? It created some immediate problems for Adam and Eve. They're going to have relational problems. Creation itself is going to have a problem. Their bodies are going to have a problem. When we when we think about relational problems, they immediately, they have the worst case of sibling rivalry in the in the history of the world. One brother kills the other brother. And as we move forward through history, we have more and more wars of brother against brother, and hatred, and racism, and bigotry, and violence against our fellow man, it just pr- proliferates peripheralates, you know what I'm saying. <laughs> it gets really big. <laughs> Lots of problems. Not a place for humor. But anyway. And what about with what about with creation itself? We were meant to have a symbiotic relationship with with creation. Mankind was supposed to do good to the earth, and the earth was supposed to do do good to man. And God told Adam, he said, Adam, when you go out and plant grain, now because of the separation, because of the situation that has produced these problems, it's going to produce thorns. Creation itself is going to have a problem. We've seen creation. We've seen earthquakes, famines, droughts. Some of you in our near region have had fires. You work your whole life to build something, and it's gone in a moment. That's a problem. That's a problem. And then we have problems with our DNA. Derek talked about it in the devotional. We have this pandemic that just goes on and on, and then there's political vi- violence against one another and arguing about it all, and, but the body's not working the way it's supposed to either. He told Eve, he said, you're going to have pain in childbirth. There's problems with our bodies. These problems are real. They're not going to go away. And Lance made a comment last week. And it stuck with me through this week. He said, life was never meant to be this way. Life was never meant to be this way. Have you had that moment in the last year, 24 hours? Maybe in the last hour, you get a text, you get an email, you meet someone in the hallway, and they tell you something, and it just breaks your heart, and you go, it's not the way it's supposed to be. Children aren't supposed to get sick. People aren't supposed to have that problem at that age. That's not supposed to be. That's not the way a spouse should treat another person. And you hear it and you groan because it's not the way it's supposed to be. Maybe you thought of this verse. Romans 8. For we know that all of creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth till now. Even creation is groaning. And then he continues. And not only creation, but we ourselves groan we ourselves are groaning i bet you've done some groaning and one thing i don't want to do in any way shape or form is minimize your problems but what i want you to see is that scripture provides us with hope from that very beginning from chapters 2 and 3 of genesis we've had kings we've had priests and potentates and prophets and governments rise up and say i'll solve the problems they haven't have they The problems still go on. You've still got your problems. I've still got mine, and we need hope. And today we're going to see that from the very beginning, at that very moment when the problems entered the world, when that started, God started communicating hope, help. Help is on the way. I want to give you an illustration. We're going to refer to it as we go through this message today. I am an introvert. And I like old movies, and I learned a long time ago a really good way to get some alone time is to turn a black and white movie on. I mean, it'll just clear a room at my house, and I get an hour and a half to myself. I love westerns. I love all kinds of old movies. And in some of those old westerns, you have the armies out there, and inevitably you're going to get a few guys. They're the heroes, and, and they're, they're, they're stuck in this really bad situation. They're surrounded by all their enemies, and it's just they're losing hope. They're going to die. And then there's this, the, the, the camera will pan to one guy's face, and he's going to be going like this. And you wonder, what, what's going on? And then you hear it. There's a trumpet blast in the distance. The cavalry's coming. The cavalry's coming, hope is coming, and suddenly that guy's face changes, and he's suddenly, he's like stronger, and he's braver, and he's going to stand firm. He knew help was on the way, and because he knew help was on the way, he had hope to stand fast, even though the problem was still right there in front of him, help was on the way. Your problems are real. My problems are real, but what we're going to see today is help. Hope is on the way. God has been sending it to us from the very beginning. In that first chapter, chapter 3 of Genesis, when God is unveiling what all the consequences of this situation are, there's a verse in there. Now, I know what all of you do tomorrow morning when you get to work on Mondays. I'm sure you all go to work and talk about the sermon from Sunday before. I'm sure that's the topic of conversation. If you want to impress somebody tomorrow, tell them, have you ever had a message about the Proto-Evangelium? Let me say again. Proto-Evangelium. Is that impressive, that little $100 word there? You can impress somebody with it. It's a reference to a very specific verse, and we looked at it last week. Here it is. Genesis 3.15. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. And then we get this statement. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Proto evangelium. Proto meaning first Evangelium, referring to the good news, the the evangelistic message, the gospel. Scholars look at this verse and have given it that big fancy name because they believe this is the very first time, or this is the very first time, in Scripture that we have the promise the Messiah is coming. You have a problem, Adam and Eve, and one of the problems is this enemy, the serpent who's just lied to you and deceived you, and there's somebody coming. This is my promise. This is, this is a prediction from God, and he says, help is on the way. And this is that first note, help is on the way. Can you hear it? Satan is a problem. He's still a problem, and God says, I'm going to take care of him. A bruised heel is painful, but it's nothing like a bruised head. God is saying someone's going to come, and he's going to deal a death blow to that one called Satan, that serpent. But as we move through Genesis, and I'm going to take you on a little verbal tour here, through all of the Hebrew Scriptures. I promise you we'll be out at normal time. We're not going to take the time to turn to all of them. I'm going to hit a few high points. But what I want you to see as we move forward through the narrative, hope is continuing to be presented to mankind. That bugle sound is still coming. Helps on the way. Helps on the way. Now what happens after this, as the chapters move forward in Genesis, the world just kind of gets really, really bad shape. If you go back and you read in Genesis 6, there's a whole lot of wickedness going on. It's really unimaginable. It's hard to explain. I really don't think we fully understand how bad it was. What we see is the fallen angels and mankind are engaged in all kinds of wickedness. And God makes this comment in Genesis 6-5. He says, and he's talking about mankind specifically here. He says, the Lord saw the wickedness of man. It was great in the earth. And every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. It saturated the place. Extreme wickedness is going to require an extreme intervention, and you're familiar with the story of the flood. And yet even in that story of the flood where the judgment is so so unpalatable to us, there's this message of hope. God says, I'm not done with you. I'm going to provide a way. To preserve the human race. And he, he approaches one man, Noah, has them build an ark, and he keeps them safe through the flood. And so then they get a clean slate. Now, surely the second time around, they're going to get it right. No, wickedness again starts to proliferate. proliferate. We're going to work on that one. This keeps getting bigger. Idolatry, sexual immorality, it's just all over the place. And God approaches another man. This man's name is Abram. He's going to change it to Abraham. And God's going to start saying some things to that man. And that, that things that he says to that man matter to you and I. Why does it matter to us what God said to somebody thousands of years ago? Because he included you and I in this conversation. God approaches this one man and he says, through you, I'm going to reach everybody. Let's look at what he says. This is in Genesis 22. I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, as the sand that is on the seashore. And he continues, And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Now, did you catch that? All the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. The way he's going to work in Abraham is to rise up, raise up a nation the nation of Israel, and he's going to have prophets and priests and kings, and he's going to give them a temple. And the purpose of that temple, Jesus tells us in the New Testament when he cleanses it, it's to be a house of prayer for all people. They were supposed to be a kingdom of priests to draw all nations to God. God's at work sending out those messages of hope. But what we see as we look through that narrative is they continue to fail, don't they? Turns out good guidance from God wise leaders, good laws, God-given laws, they're still not enough. There's still something wrong. We need some help for that, we help for that problem. We need a solution. You know, maybe you've had this happen in your I hope you haven't, but have you ever had a pain develop and that you think, well, I'll just ignore it and it'll go away? And it just keeps on, keeps on. I had, a, I had a pain in my hip a number of years ago. And I thought, well, I just twisted something, and it just kept worse and worse. Went to the doctor. They gave me the wrong diagnosis. They sent me to a back doctor, and I went for weeks and months and spent all this money and nothing was getting better. I was losing hope. I wanted the pain to go away, and I needed someone to correctly diagnose my situation. So some of you know me and you know the story of my my, my story, my wife's story. She has some chronic illnesses. It's been a battle. It's been going on for a number of years. Some of you have chronic illnesses and you don't know exactly what's going on and you've been dealing with that. But on more than one occasion, I've been in the car with my wife driving to Dallas to see another specialist and she just said, I just want to know. I I just want to know. Even if it's bad, I just want to know what's causing it. You see, when we know, when we go, when we find someone who understands the problem, that gives us what? It gives us a little hope. You see, when we have a problem, we want to go to someone that understands the problem. We want a doctor who can do at least four things. One who can diagnose the problem, one who can make the right prescription, deliver the prescription, and then there's a fourth thing we want. We want a doctor who cares for us. On a few occasions, we have had doctors that have gone the extra mile. And oh, man, when they go the extra mile, that is is such a blessing. We have a God who understands the problem. Listen to what he says in Jeremiah 17. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can understand it? God looked at humanity there in the Hebrew Scriptures as we watched the narrative, and he says there's a heart problem. Something's got to be done about the heart of man. And then through the same prophet, he says this, I will give them a heart to know that I am the Lord, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God, for they shall return to me with their whole heart. Another prophet picks it up in Ezekiel. He says it this way, and I will give you a new heart, a transplant a new heart and a new spirit, and I will put within you, and I will put it within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. We need a heart surgeon. And what we see in the narrative is God says one's on the way. God says help's on the move. So now for the first time this morning, I'm gonna ask you to open your Bibles to Micah chapter five. We were in Micah, last January. We started this year in Micah. Micah's name means who is like God. As we went through that study, we learned, well, everybody's supposed to be, but nobody measures up. But Micah started telling him about someone. He started saying there's someone coming. Micah's voice, his prophetic voice is like that that bugle of the cavalry. It's coming, help's on the way. And Micah says, I even know where the help's going to be born. Micah chapter 5, verse 2. Look at what we see. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are little, too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is of old, from ancient of days. There's a different kind of leader coming. Not like the ones that you've had. They, David was good, Moses was good, Joshua was good, but they're not the ancient of days. They're not that old. This is a different kind of leader. And he says he's coming. He's going to be born in Bethlehem. Watch. Helps on the way. And then skip down to verse 4. He's going to tell us something about him. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure. For now, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. That's Everybody. Not just Israel, that's everybody. But then look at the first few words of chapter of verse 5. And he shall be their peace. I bet a few weeks ago some of you got out your Christmas decoration and you either have an ornament or a placard or a little board that you set on the mantel or on the wall and it says peace. We like the word peace. It means harmony. It means there's an ending of strife. But the translation of the word peace for the Hebrew word, it's insufficient. The Hebrew word is the word shalom, and shalom means a whole lot more than an end of fighting. You do a deep dive on the word shalom, and it means wholeness. It means completeness. I saw an illustration recently, and it talked about how if in ancient times, if a man was driving an ox down the road, and the ox stepped in a hole, and it bumped into a man's stone wall, And it put a breach in the wall. The owner of that wall is going to come up and say, Restore the shalom. Restore the shalom. You know what he's saying? Make it the way it's supposed to be. Look at that verse. And he shall be their shalom. He's the one that's going to make things the way it's supposed to be. Do you hear the bugle in the distance? Listen to how this commentator writes about this word. We call it peace but it means far more than a mere peace of mind or ceasefire between enemies. In the Bible, shalom means universal flourishing, wholeness, delight. Shalom, in other words, is the way things ought to be. The way things ought to be. Some of you have some major problems going on in your life and the lives of your children and people that you love and that you care for. This one who's coming is a one who will ultimately make things the way they're supposed to be. Next Friday, if you'll come on Christmas Eve, it's coming Friday, if you'll come, we're going to talk about the arrival of the Savior, hope for a Savior. But right now, I want to talk to you, continue to talk to you about what Jesus did, because you see, the problems, we really want the problem solved, and when we look at here, this, we see there is hope for the solution. Early on in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus stands in his own hometown of Nazareth, little bitty town of Nazareth. He goes into the synagogue and he pulls out the scroll of Isaiah and he basically pronounces his mission statement. Look at what he says. He's quoting from Isaiah, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has appointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Is your problem related to money, poverty? That's good news. That's a solution. Look at what else he says. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. Are you oppressed? Are you in bondage to someone? That's good news. That's a problem solved. Recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. But maybe your problem didn't make the list. Some of mine didn't make the list. Maybe you... Are feeling like Derek talked about earlier today. And maybe you're feeling weary. He quoted one of my favorite verses in Matthew 11:28. 28. Yesterday, as I was thinking through the message and listening to some music, I ran across a new song. Um, it captured my attention because of the first few lines. And I'm not going to sing it to you. You're welcome. But I am going to read these questions to you. It's by Ann Wilson. It's called, My Jesus. And the first lyrics, the first words are this, are you past the point of weary? Past the point of weary. You ever been there? Past the point of weary? Some of you are there today. Is your burden weighing heavy? And then the third question is, is it all too much to carry? Have you had the moment where it's too much? I'm done. I'm just done. And then she gives this line that becomes the chorus. Well, let me tell you about my Jesus. The name of Jesus, this one that's promised to come to Bethlehem, this one that we're going to celebrate on Friday, he's the bringer of hope. Hope for the solution. He's going to bring, he did come and he did bring a solution and he put the solution into motion. What we see as we move through the gospel is through his sinless life, his voluntary death, his death and resurrection. Christ conquered death. He dealt the death blow to Satan. This is the way Paul summarizes what Jesus did. He says he disarmed the rulers and authorities and he put them to open shame by triumphing over them. He, he crushed the head. Now Satan's still active. We're going to talk about that. He's still tempting and lying and, and doing his thing. He's a wounded animal, and wounded animals are dangerous, but his days are numbered. The end is in sight. The death blow that was promised all the way back, that first bugle blast that we heard, the death blow's been delivered. And it's in the process of taking him out. You know what else happened through the death, burial, and resurrection? Remember what our problem was? We needed a heart transplant. Whether it was a few minutes ago or a few decades ago, when you placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you were given a new heart. You became a new creation in Christ. And now there's now a place inside of you that is righteous and pure and longs for God. And that's part of what produces that longing. So the problems though, they're still right here. Maybe you're having a hard time hearing the promises. Maybe you're having a hard time believing that a solution is really coming. You know, that liar, that accuser, that deceiver, he's still roaming around seeking whom he may may devour, right? Some of those lies are you're not good enough, you're ugly, you're not, you're worthless. Those are lies because Jesus says some other things. And Jesus told us In in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. When the lies come, we have to reach for the truth. He's given it to us. He says, I love you so much, I'm going to die for you. That's not a worthless person. That's a person of value. What about this business of accusing? I bet some of you have done some things wrong. I've done some things wrong. And the accuser of the brethren is always going to show up and say, you remember what you did? I saw you. Other people saw you too. Well, now I'm going to ask you to turn to the last place we're going to look today. I want you to turn to Romans. Romans chapter 8. Heard a man say once if he could only have one one book of the New Testament, he would choose Romans. And if he could only have one chapter, he'd choose chapter 8. It's high ground. And we're going to look at some of that high ground right now. We're going to start in verse 31. Verse 31, we read this. What then shall we say to these things? Now, he's been talking about the suffering. He's been talking about the fact this world's tough, and it's going to be tough at times. He's a realist, and he says, But what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? If you write in the margins of your Bible, you might write here, If God is for Joe. But don't write Joe, write your name. Okay? If God is for me, Write your name in there. If he's for you, who can be against you? Who could stand against you? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God. interceding for us now the picture that Paul's painted for us is it's like a courtroom and he's just explained to us God is the judge God is the jury and God incarnate in the flesh in the person of Jesus he's your defense attorney you can't lose because the prosecutor the accuser he's got a head injury his days are numbered And God is the judge, He's the jury, and He's your defender. You see, did you write it down? You need to know this if you're gonna have hope. God is for you. That's what we just read. God is for you. Look at verse uh, 35. Remember the problem from from last week? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? That word who can also be what? The idea is, are anything? It's like Paul has stood up on a great podium and he's speaking to the whole universe and he's saying, who, who, is there anybody? Is there an angel? Is there a man? Is there any entity out there? Look at what he says. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Those are problems. Can any of those problems separate you And he's saying no. Are the problems real? Yes. The problems aren't just real, they're prophesied. Look at the very next verse. Verse 36, as it's written, For your sake we're being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Apostle Paul had a tough life. He had some problems. But you know what? He knew that problems had term limits. The solution was on the move. Jesus was on the move. That question still stands Who shall separate us? In verse 37, he offers the negative No, in all these things, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. The old King James is, Nay, Nay, No, we're more than conquerors. What's more than a conqueror? One scholar thinks that Paul coined the phrase because after you're a conqueror, what else is there? It's like Paul saying, It's not even close. This is a whole new category of victory. Look at what he says, For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ our Lord. Man, the Apostle Paul seems to be attempting to be as, as complete as he can possibly be in all those words. Maybe you should write down... Not Joe, but your name is more than a conqueror. It's unquestionable. It's not even close. An exhaustive list of problems. The cure is sure. The solution is guaranteed because we have a living hope. And his name, his name is Jesus. But you're sitting there and you're thinking about your problem probably. You're thinking, Joe, it's still here and it still hurts and I don't like it. We need to understand a little bit about hope. Okay, so while I have you in Romans, I'm gonna have you kind of rewind back up to Romans 8. And I want us to go where we were earlier today, verse 23. If you'll remember, we were talking about groaning when we started this. In verse 23 of Romans 8, we read, and not only the creation, not only the creation's growing, but we ourselves who have had the first fruits of the Spirit. We groan inwardly, and notice, as we wait eagerly for adoption of as sons, the redemption of our bodies. And now Paul's going to teach us a little bit about hope. Look at what he says. For in this hope we were saved, the living hope, in Christ Jesus we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. hope who hopes for what he sees? But if we, hope for, if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. What Paul is pointing out is that hope involves a little bit of waiting. Remember my illustration of the soldier who's in the bad spot, and he hears the bugle, and he sees that help is on the way, but he's still still in the tight spot. He's still going to involve some waiting. The solution has been delivered through Christ Jesus, but it's in process. There's going to be some pain, and we're going to need hope because we are asked to live by faith and not by sight. You may be familiar with the words of Hebrews 11.1. Now faith is assurance of things hoped for and the convictions of things not seen. Hope and faith go together. In that great chapter, chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians, Paul says this, so now faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. Have you ever wondered why love is the greatest compared to faith and hope? I mean, God, in Hebrews, he tells us, "Without faith, it's impossible to please God." Here's the reason love stands out in that group. Love is eternal. Faith and hope—that's for now. It's temporary. When we see Jesus, we're not going to have to hope for him. We're not going to have to have faith. That he's going to be here. Hope is a down pot, down <laughs> is a down payment. It's a deposit on what's coming. And if you've ever been without hope, you know that you need hope. So it's gonna involve a little bit of waiting. And you might say, Joe, I don't like to wait. Well, I'm gonna ask you an important question. Where are you gonna turn? I'll turn 53 next week. I can't solve the problems. I've got some that are, are doozies and I don't know what to do about them. You've got some that you don't know what to do about it, and I've not seen a president, I've not seen a preacher, I've not seen any type of leader or any type of system or anything else that gives me the hope that this book gives me, because from, there, from the very beginning, God says, I know the problem, I've got a plan, and it's in motion, and no matter how much the folks in here mess up, one of the reasons I love this book is they're just as messed up as me, They got just as many problems as you and I have, and you know what? God is relentless in his pursuit of them. He's relentless in his messaging to them, I'm here for you, I'm coming for you, hope is in me, and help is on the way. God means for us to set our minds on him. One of the passages of Scripture that gives me hope and that I turn to from time to time is Isaiah 40. When I graduated from high school, my sister gave me a keychain with part of this verse on it, and I held on to it for a long time. Um, I've been at the place where I seem to have lost hope, and words like this give me strength. I want to share it with you. He begins this way in Isaiah 40, 28 through 31, we read, Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. That's a source that you can hope in. That's power. Remember, we need power when we have a problem. He goes on, He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Look at that. To him who has no might, he increases strength. You remember our poor little soldier? And he heard the bugle. Strength through the hope because it's on the way. Isaiah continues, even youth, even youth shall faint and be weary. I'll just stop. There's some of you in here a lot younger than 53. Problems aren't just for old people. Some of the children in here have homes that are not good places. Some of the children here have situations and problems that seem bigger than they are. God knows. Look at that. Even youths shall faint and grow weary. Teenagers, young people, everybody has problems. God knows it. Young men shall fall exhausted, but they who wait on the Lord, wait for the Lord, shall renew their strength. There's one translation that has those who wait, those who hope. That word kind of means the same thing. It's going to involve some waiting. It's going to involve some listening. It's going to involve some looking. Where's the help coming from? I believe it's coming from here. And he continues, They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not grow faint. Hope. You have problems. You need a solution. So do I. This book, over and over again, Sounds of the Signal, communicates to us that the hope for our solution is a living hope And his name is Jesus. You've been listening to the weekly broadcast of Grace Church, an independent Bible teaching church in Wichita Falls, Texas. You can join us for worship Sunday mornings at our campus on Stone Lake Drive in Wichita Falls. Stream services live online at gracechurch.com or subscribe to our podcast published on Apple, Google, and Spotify. From all of us at Grace Church, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.